KZSU Stanford. I'm Mark Molino. You're listening to the Henry George Program. This is a show about housing, land use, politics, right and wrong, a lot more. Today in the program, we have on the Stanford Land Use Group Scope 2035 on the show for a second time. But all new cast, we have Matthew and Shelby on this time around. So we'll hear all about uh, what's going on with uh, some controversies at the county level versus the university level versus the cities. Lots to talk about. Well, just gonna welcome Shelby and welcome Matthew. Good Hi, how's here. it going? <laughs> yeah, so uh, we had uh, two other folks on from Scope one year ago, uh, not to the day, but about a year ago on this program. Um, but we'll, we won't expect listeners to have known everything that went on there. But So we'll assume just from scratch, uh, what is SCOPE? So SCOPE stands for Stanford Coalition for Planning an Equitable 2035. And we call it SCOPE 2035 for short. Um, we have a set of values that we organize around. Um, and our focus is mostly on workers' rights and sustainable development and kind of just holding Stanford accountable for the impacts of, of their development. Yeah, it's, it's Scope 2035 specifically refers to the GUP, the uh, General Use Plan of Santa Clara County in Stanford. Uh, do you feel like, is this always going to be the core mission of, of Scope, or do you think Scope is, you know, has more to say than just the, the GUP? That's a great question. And I think it's also one that we've been discussing internally in the group a little bit. Like when the GUP is over, what will Scope do? Mm-hmm. Um, the good news is that I think affordable, well, <laughs> uh, uh, in terms of our existence, um, the good news is that uh, affordable housing is a huge issue and it extends far beyond Stanford. Um, you know, obviously the housing crisis in the Bay Area um, is a huge problem. And uh, no matter kind of what happens with Stanford, um, there will always be that problem that we want to kind of tackle um, as students. Um, And so, uh, yeah, who knows how long the GUP will continue to last in that Mm -hmm. process. But I think afterwards, there's uh, a number of ways to kind of channel that energy. Yeah, it's it's called the 2018 GUP. Mm-hmm. I'm checking my watch right now. Right now, it's it's uh, April 2019, and we're still working on it. It sounded like it was wrapping up a year ago. They had the environmental impact review in mm-hmm. way, but it's still going on, and there's still. So, well, what when will this GUP actually be nailed down, and work can't be going on on it anymore? So that's pretty hard for us to say because obviously it's been delayed a lot and it's unpredictable, um, especially with a lot of things we'll go on to talk about that have delayed it, such as the lawsuit. Um, But as of now, the GUP negotiations have been pushed to the fall, Mm. next fall. And so it's, yeah. (laughs) But but it's still going to be called the 2018 GUP and it still will cover the same time range of 2035 or is even that going to be shifted? As of now, the same time range. Hmm. So, okay, so... Big picture, what is your mission with the GUP? Yeah, so I think like big picture, it's to get Stanford to build more affordable housing on campus, um, especially for uh, low-wage and surface workers who need it the most. Um, I think we've all heard stories about uh, how folks who work in the dining halls or like groundskeepers have to often drive hours away from their homes to work at Stanford, often at very odd hours of the night, mm-hmm. um, working like irregular shifts, not necessarily getting uh, full benefits um, for their labor. And uh, trying to correct that kind of inequity is something that we are really focused on. Yeah. And, and t- 
just connected to that, one of our other top goals is extending transportation benefits to workers. So a lot of the time, if these workers don't live near a convenient you know, bus or train station, we were asking Stanford to extend the Marguerite lines or at least give um, Caltrain subsidies to all workers rather than just select workers because a lot of contracted workers don't have access to that um, or it's difficult for them to get it because they need sponsorship and these people who are driving however many hours are also paying for really expensive parking passes on campus and they it makes sense to have expensive parking passes to disincentivize you know students and faculty from having a car here I I think that's great but um, for these folks who are getting the lowest salary of anyone in this community they shouldn't be paying that top premium for a parking pass. The alternative should be, ideally, oh, don't drive in, you should live closely. Exactly. And that's not an option based upon the uh, the prices of housing here. Right. So Palo Alto has one of the highest jobs to um, housing ratios in the Bay Area with a three to one ratio. And for low income to affordable housing, it's 6.8 to one, which is just absolutely insane if you think about it. So you work closely with, or at least with some of your projects you've been involved with, uh, SEIU, the Service Employee Union on on campus. Uh, I'm kind of curious about how well do you know uh, exactly how far people are commuting from? Is there there good information on just everybody who's an employee here, how many live within, you know, 10, 20 minutes, how many are living over an hour away? And is is that known or is that hard to kind of pin down? Well, the difficult part is that a lot of the workers that we are focused on, or at least the people who seem to be getting shortchanged the most are contracted workers, and the companies that contract them don't give the any data really to anyone. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's very elusive, that data, um, and a lot of it we don't have hard numbers on. Right, right here in Stanford Radio, I believe in the last two years, you know, we are a Stanford facility and we mm-hmm. would have Stanford employees help out with kind of getting the trash in and out. Mm-hmm. And that was replaced with contractors within right. the last two years. And in, in in our case, some some of the same people who've been working for the Stanford now, they're working for the contractors, mm-hmm. but uh, I believe with less benefits. Definitely. It's kind yeah. of weird in this, you know, with this, it's not like Stanford's begging for money these days. It's exactly. a weird way to try to save a little bit of money. Right. And that's somewhere where I definitely see scope going after the GUP gets approved is um, just fortifying our partnership with SEIU and doing whatever we can to support them um, and fighting for workers' rights, especially in the contracted workers scene. So growth, I guess the GOP in a lot of ways, it kind of deals with the growth that is happening within the campus, uh, which is part of unincorporated Santa Clara County over the next couple decades. Uh, And I don't know if this is normal sorts of growth or if this is actually kind of in line with previous GUPs, Mm -hmm. uh, but they're looking over 2 million additional square feet of academic space. Uh, They're looking for, uh, you know, 3,000 housing units on campus. So they're, they're looking to grow. Uh, and part of this is when this, when this grows and as the county continues to grow, uh, how will that lead to equitable outcomes? And I guess yeah. what, what are the biggest challenges here uh, to, to deal with, with that kind of growth? Yeah, I mean, actually, 
<clears throat> one important subtlety there is that um, when Stanford uh, submitted its general use permit application to the county, they have a list of project goals um, that the application is kind of evaluated against. And so one of their project goals that is stated is to be in line with historical growth trends. So, I mean, Stanford's academic growth is not something that's new. If you look at, you know, from 2000 to 2018, you know, there's been an enormous growth on campus. Um, but what hasn't grown is the number of affordable units on campus for folks who like aren't necessarily students who are workers. And one of Stanford's actual like arguments against increasing affordable housing on campus is that it's not in line with what with, with what they've done historically. <laughs> so I think that's like a really horrible argument, basically. <laughs> yeah. Like things have been already bad, and so we shouldn't be expected to make them better. Um, and in the in the county's final environmental impact report, one of the um, n- one of the reasons why they said that uh, full fully mitigating housing impacts would not meet project goals was because um, Stanford said they didn't really they want haven't to done improve. It in the past. Right, exactly, because they haven't done it in the past. That is, um, I mean, you go back, you know, a few decades. There's still orchards here. There are mm. still new cheap developments here. Mm. And yeah, it's it's you talk about what has changed in this region over yeah. the last 30 years and there is just no more affordable housing at all. Exactly. And it's that's it's, and they yeah. can say with a straight face that like <laughs> it's still a good metric to use the same yeah. the same approaches. And I, I completely agree with that. I think that it's also important to kind of contextualize Stanford's role in terms of kind of being at the beating heart of Silicon Valley and being at uh, the center of, you know, this industry, which has kind of contributed to gentrification and like pushed a lot of poor people out of, you know, where they used to live. Um, and I think while we can't uh, through like the GUP kind of force Stanford to face that responsibility necessarily, um, I think it's important that we all kind of recognize Stanford's role, even if, you know, their PR folks <laughs> say that they're not responsible. Yeah. And just going back to the expansion numbers that you mentioned, they also are looking to bring in 8,000 plus new hires. Um, and that's not including those people's um, spouses, children. So that. It would be about 10,000 or so new people into this area, which really doesn't have the infrastructure for that many people in terms of, you know, public transit, school district, everything, the traffic, everything will just be exacerbated. And and so the county, all they're asking is that Stanford does something to mitigate those impacts. Um, is the main ask from scope in the form of things should be mitigated through payments and different subsidies, different things, or is it actually you want to see more employee-based housing within the actual limits of Stanford? We want housing units, absolutely. And would these be things that actually, like a dorm, would they would be owned and operated by Stanford? Could they be some sort of land trust kind of, you know, there's a little bit of like, I mean, or is this kind of up up for debate? Yeah, I think this is definitely up for debate. I think that the most realistic kind of version of on-campus housing that you would see is something akin to like uh, EV, for example, like mm. grad housing, mm-hmm. which is kind of, you know, a little bit more hands-off, a little more geared towards adults. I think that would make a lot of sense. Um I think the county has expressed that they're willing to, you know, put uh, take payment from Stanford and put that into an affordable housing fund. But um, I think that our concern is that that money will just get tied up for years Mm -hmm. and not really materialize into actual units. And we know Stanford can build housing on campus. Look at all the grad housing they're building um, for you know, grad students to live in in 2020, I believe, like they're efficient. They can do that. They have the resources. Um, Now do it for, you know, 
your workers who need right. it. Right. Because Stanford's capacity to build is just so much larger than the county's capacity. And so giving the county money is a way to just delay. And um, it's we're, we have a worry that eventually that would never come into fruition. Uh, so this kind of uh, this kind of leads us into the discussion about the housing ordinances in the lawsuit. Um, yeah. So essentially, if you are a developer in this area and you build and bring in new employees to the area, you're required to build a certain amount of affordable housing, depending on what kind of workers you're bringing in. Um, depending and if, upon the city, uh, the city laws that exactly. you build within. Right. And so if you do not build that housing, there's an in lieu fee mm. per square foot. And that fee used to be around like four or five dollars. The county raised it a couple of years ago to like twenty to thirty dollars. And then um, after there was a nexus study that was done by the county evaluating Stanford's impacts, and just um, they c- concluded that Stanford's impacts are about a hundred and forty-one dollars per square foot. Yeah. So last year, Scope did a lot of phone banking um, and put a lot of pressure on Palo Alto, and they raised the fee from that 20 or 30 number to $68 per square foot. and Still um, less than half of what people exactly. say is so needed. Exactly, so less than half of the of mitigating the full impact. And that's when Stanford took legal action in suing the county, which we think is very unreasonable. And, um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, to, to kind of further contextualize it, um, there was a news report from Palo Alto Online that basically said this affordable housing fee um, could raise um, $156 million for the county for affordable housing um, over the, the time period of the next GUP. Um, and that's kind of on the same order of magnitude on as this like recent agreement that Stanford reached with Palo Alto Unified um, mm-hmm. to pay them let's put $138 a, let's, million. Let's yeah. put a pin on that yeah, because sure. there's so many moving parts here. I think 100%. we need to kind of... Yeah. Uh, okay, so... I think going back to this whole in Luffy, it's a Mm -hmm. really good argument for the fact that actually building housing is important because you build a unit, someone lives in the unit, you actually have something you can count on, whereas the amount of money that floats back and forth, it's very hard to make sure that it is, one, sufficient, two, is Mm -hmm. going the right places. And uh, yeah, I, I was I was looking a little bit in this ordinance. This so the ordinance was put in last uh, last late last fall or early winter. Yes, I think September. Yeah, and um, Stanford's lawsuit is on equal protection grounds, saying that they are being discriminated on as opposed to other places under. I, I'm I'm not yeah. I'm not a law expert, <laughs> uh, but they're saying that. They are looking at here's an ordinance for all of unincorporated Santa yeah. Clara County, which disproportionately the major part of that that matters is Stanford Stanford. University. And they say like, this isn't fair. The rest of the County doesn't have this, but we have this, which uh, I'm not sure what the president say, say about this. I mean, I just think like you don't have to be a law expert to realize that like the equal protection kind of um, that we have in, the U.S. to kind of protect for like, civil rights should not really be used to protect this like enormous uh, private university from having to build affordable housing. I think that's just kind of ridiculous. Um, yeah, I, mean, I just want to like. I mean, <laughs> other cities they set their own uh, IZ inclusionary zoning, mm-hmm. you know, rate, and fifteen percent is not particularly high. And other cities are looking to make it at least in line with this. It's very weird mm-hmm. to say, like, we can't we can't put up with this. I think in a lot of ways, they could have very easily said with a straight face, this is reasonable, okay, let's yeah. move on. It's- right, and if <clears throat> it's just the kind of thing, if you want to mm-hmm. develop and go big with your development, you have to 
mitigate it. That's just that's what we're asking. And um, and again, it was just, it was less than half of the of the impact that they were asking for. Yeah, I, I also want to kind of clarify because this is kind of confusing with the ordinance and the fees. But there's right. there's kind of two different ordinances. Sure. One of them relates to inclusionary zoning, which mandates that Stanford, when it builds residential units, that's not for students. Sixteen percent of those units, at least, must income. be yeah for uh, qualifies affordable housing under the state's like regional housing needs allocation or sure. RENA mm-hmm. um, system. The other is the kind of affordable housing fee. So that's like the impact fee. So that's what Shelby was mentioning, raising from thirty three dollars to sixty eight fifty. Um, per square foot of development of space. So those are two separate things, and Stanford is challenging both of them. Right, um, that's an important distinction. Yeah. Yeah. And is the plan for both of those to kind of be implemented at once for all developments? So it kind of, it would take, you know, two bits of uh, mitigating, uh, you know, one through IZ, one through the fees? Yeah, for okay. sure. And yeah. I think that um, even with like scopes, our own particular asks um, that we submitted to the county, we want that to coexist along these two ordinances. We think that like they kind of all need to exist together to kind of take a multi-pronged approach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so you have uh, been protesting after this happened against these lawsuits, saying that Stanford should drop them. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, so yeah. So just tell me more about the protests. I guess. More than anything, we just wanted to open the eyes of the Stanford student community to what's going on, and we wanted to, our our approach was come talk to us, you know, like we put up banners all over campus, uh, handed out flyers, which um, led people, or informed people about teach-ins we were having around campus, and so I just think it's important, at, if you're a student here, to be aware of what's going on and like how Stanford's operating and the the lawsuit is I don't know it's it's a good um, point of conversation for these topics and we wanted students to be aware of it and um, if they want to get on board with what we're doing and like um, mobilize with us then that's great Uh, but the the main goal of the protest was really to let students know what's going on yeah and I'll just I'll just add to that real quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, when Stanford released the details about the lawsuit that happened over winter break, um, when no one was around, and yeah, when no one's checking their email, and so mm-hmm. I think it's kind of important to to realize that you know Stanford has an entire PR team, legal team dedicated to the optics around the GUP. They mm-hmm. have a website that proclaims like how great the GUP is for the community, and like alludes to oh we're building so much housing on campus, but like none of it is really like affordable. So mm-hmm. I think it's we as students kind of have to take extra steps to make sure that everyone is like fully informed and not mm-hmm. just getting the sanitized, you know, Stanford press fluff. <laughs> how much uh, do the Stanford governance, as in the Stanford student government, how much are they involved in these uh, GUP-type uh, actions, and how much is this happening kind of independent of student government? As far as I'm aware, it's completely independent of student government. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, actually, one thing that I I would say is that um, I know... Erica Scott and Isaiah Drummond, who uh, just like won the election for ACU exec, um, yes. on their platform specifically called out like they support like Scope 2035's um, platform and would like to, you know, kind of um, amplify that signal. And I think that's really cool that student government is kind of getting involved and um, it's, you know, not just a group of random students on campus. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'd say one thing is, I mean, do you have numbers on exactly, you know, what percentage of all students, including grad students, but, you know, all, I, how many of the undergrads live on campus in campus-supplied mm-hmm. housing? 
Because it's for uh, undergrads, it's close to ninety-seven, ninety-eight percent. Yeah. Last time I checked. And I'm grad, grad student, students. I'm not sure. Sure. I mean, I I was a grad mm. student. Just background here for. So many years before I unsuccessfully uh, uh, did not uh, finish my uh, PhD. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, it it was a great service to say, like, you have a guarantee of relatively extremely cheap by the standard housing on campus. And in a lot of ways, it insulates you from kind of knowing about how screwed up it is mm-hmm. for all the employees. So having, having the kind of outreach to say, these are people who are, you know, working all around you you know they are part of the stanford community they don't have the same kind of housing you do that's 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 uh, that's a i feels a very necessary kind of message to to give to students how do how do people receive it yeah um i think that so we have at least one grad student who's involved with scope and so she acts as a very uh kind of a nice conduit or she keeps up the conversation between the grad student communities and us but again um Stanford in the original um, 2018 GUP proposal basically said that counted grad student units as affordable units, which we have a problem with. But at the same time, we support and we fully support the idea of needing grad student units on campus that are um, affordable enough for that population. Um, well, so I have just to, some numbers to add. Actually, I recently spoke with one of the deans of graduate law, uh, graduate life, mm-hmm. um, and so there's some statistics in terms of on campus. So I think 60 percent of graduate students live on campus. Mm-hmm. Um, there are t- 250 families on campus. So I think that's also mm-hmm. important as undergrads. We sometimes forget that grad students often have you know spouses Thanks. and children yeah. who are living with them, which can often make you know the affordable housing even even less affordable. And another thing is that it's really unclear the extent to which Stanford actually. Um, kind of enforces the affordability requirements of the units on campus. So oftentimes um, they'll have, you know, certain units designated as low income, but then the folks who are living there might not actually, you know, qualify as low income. Or mm. And so mm-hmm. the folks who kind of need those units aren't necessarily getting them. Basically, this process yeah. is entirely opaque and no one knows who's getting what units and whether it's actually meeting the need. Um, and so I think that's an important kind of the, the other thing to think about is that um, Stan- a lot of Stanford's uh, academic reputation rests on its grad students, obviously, and so they will build units for grad. St- they need to build units for grad students, and they're much more invested in that than in affordable housing for workers. Um, the only worry there is that the if they do increase the cost of that grad student housing, or if it is limited somehow, then that will. Um, kind of like shrink the diversity of the grad student population, which we obviously don't want that to happen either. You'd only get if you're if you're privileged enough to exactly. go to a place where you can afford to pay for an apartment near which campus. Which shouldn't be that way, obviously. Yeah. No, I mean it's it's two. I mean, I think in view is two very separate missions. One mm-hmm. is make sure there is affordable, you know, grad student housing offered, and one is make sure that there is service. You know, everyone who works here in for the SEIU and for other subcontractors, for everybody, that there is housing. And it's kind of strange that they are viewing the grad housing as completely satisfying. The affordable housing, I mean, to talk about ways it's different, when you sign for grad housing, you know in about six or seven years that will not be open to you. And it's kind of, there's not many kind of housing which necessarily uh, has an expiration date on it in that same kind of way. Right. And it's, it's uh, and when it's done, 
uh, then someone like me is either moves away or is dumped off in the local <laughs> in the local uh, uh-huh. you know housing markets, and now I am taking another unit. Exactly. Yeah. So it it doesn't exact it in a lot of ways doesn't do anything to satisfy long term affordable you know needs of, of 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 housing. Right. And to give people a picture of the status quo, um, there I don't remember the exact percentage, but there's a very very small percentage of. Um, on-campus housing or close-to-campus housing for workers that Stanford has, but basically there's a wait list. The, all the housing is full and the wait list is full, so you can't even apply to be on the wait list anymore. Um, oh, and they, it's, they run a bytes in their database? Like- <laughs> it's, right, right. It's some minuscule number of people. It's like 12 people or something who yeah. are, have access to that housing. Um, and so, yeah, the situation is pretty dire and in need of fortification. I had a friend who was uh, an undergrad as he was here at the station, and he ran out of his undergrad housing. Hmm. Uh, he lived at the now demolished Meyer Library for a solid couple months, and a few, like, oh I think gosh. he got a motel a few a few times a month, wow. uh, and eventually got into one of the co-ops, mm-hmm. like, for the next quarter, but... It's 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 a precarious position if you if you don't make this work and and undergrads tend to be the ones that are the best supportive of anybody. Yeah, I mean, I think we know for a fact that there are there's a community of folks on campus who are finding very creative ways to kind of live it, live here and and make it here. Whether it's you know in their cars or just like mm-hmm. finding places on campus where they can like spend the night, like it's really rough. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's getting harder. I mean, Mountain View was just passing an anti-RV ordinance recently. It's all these different unconventional, very tough-to-do ways are becoming more and more tough every day, and prices are, are only going up. Right, and with that, the socioeconomic profile of the area is changing very rapidly. So uh, as you are, I guess, reaching out, uh, is, is scope is scope growing? Are you, uh, I mean, is, is it growing in mission and is it growing as far as kind of, uh, yeah, I guess energy and I guess student bodies that are, are doing stuff for scope? Cause I'll say this, it's a good, it's good to know last year, two people, I think that both graduated and there's still plenty of people to, to, to keep, keep the, keep it going. Yeah. I, I would say we have grown this year for sure. Um, and you know, things fluctuate. People go abroad. People come back from being abroad. Um, people graduate. But um, I think Scope is very organized as a group. Um, and that's something that, because a lot of the seniors who graduated last year were the original Scope group that um, started mm-hmm. all of this. And they just did an incredibly good job of passing down kind of just conduct of this is how we run things this is how we onboard people this is how we keep each subgroup going even if someone graduates um, this is how we pass on leadership positions and um, that organization I think has kept our you know our pulse going pretty strong especially through through this year right, there's one one headline this is Stanford politics last December if I were Stanford I would be most threatened by us how scope 2035 <laughs> became the most powerful activist group on campus. So uh, talk about you know, why why would you be considered arguably the most powerful activist group? I mean, describe describe your power. 
<laughs> I mean, I think that's very flattering. <laughs> um, I think that, that article was actually written kind of like as I was just kind of getting onboarded. But I think uh, what is some, something that is unique that we do is work kind of outside the university and find ways to put pressure on the university by going through these kind of arcane county, you know, land use approval processes. Mm. Um, that's something that Stanford has to obey. Like they, mm-hmm. if the county requires them to do something, they kind of have to do it. Um, whereas I think a lot of student activism is usually contextualized like within the university and kind of urging the administration to do certain things, but not necessarily thinking or really knowing about these leverage points that exist like legally that Stanford is bound to. And I think that when you kind of work with external parties who can put a little bit more pressure on Stanford um, and have more leverage with them, that's where you can often create a large amount of change. I think student activists have been really upset for a long time about Stanford's kind of lip service to them. And that's because Mm -hmm. I think largely due to the fact that there's you know these students who you know raised a storm over whatever issue are going to be gone in four years and so you can kind of create a task force you know create a committee and then Mm -hmm. you know it all just evaporates later but you know the the gut is binding stanford for the next you know 17 years (laughs) um and so that is a huge point of leverage yeah and it seemed like scope figured out pretty quickly that um trying to work with stanford directly was just uh it was a blank wall, you know. It, it was it, not in their interest it, to get to really... It was really, a dead end. Yeah. And so um, working with the folks at the county has definitely given us, you know, a lot of insight into how these things work um, after a couple years. And it's we've built really good relationships with those folks. Um, and something that, you know, the supervisors have reflected on and told us that we're doing well is that we're the only kind of voice at the table that is trying to represent more groups than just ourselves. We're not only, you know, the the moms at the school district are there for the school district. The um, Ohlone tribe is there for the open space land and each group has their own agenda. But we are really invested in the values of all of these groups. And so we try to um, we just try to have a more whole picture of what's going on, which I think gives us a lot of that momentum. It's it's an important mix of making sure you have people who are fighting for their own self interest, and then all you. I really believe you need the right amount of idealists and people who do it for activism for the right things to make sure things really stay in an equitable and and really good track. And it's great that you're building relationships with the county because you talk about people who really are always around, like doing this. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Joe Semidian, who's who's you know in the news this week, mm-hmm. was still working the two thousand gup, right. and like I mean, it's there. There is, <laughs> it's they they are they are behind the helm for for long term, mm-hmm. I guess, as this goes. So one thing I want to ask, so you said this December article, you're getting onboarded, <clears throat> and yeah. now now you're one of the uh, main policy folks on Scope, and this is only like four months. Well, what's this been like to kind of? To kind yeah. of like learn so much, I imagine. Yeah, it's been definitely overwhelming. But um, I think, yeah, it's the folks in Scope who have been w- willing to like, you know, let me come to their meetings and like talk to me through this whole gut process and like all the prongs of like the county and like different interest groups and stuff. That has been really helpful. So like, I think during fall quarter, which is when I joined, I mainly just kind of like sat there during meetings and like asked questions and like clarified things. And then over winter break, which is when um, the the county's final environmental impact report came out, that's when I really just sat down and kind of like read through the whole thing and tried to, you know, rebut some of the county's points. Um, And yeah, it was it was really kind of like a long period of just learning. But then I think like after you get over that little hump, uh, things really get better. I think Shelby yeah, also and you I, joined. I also fall. joined yeah. this fall. Oh, you're so, you're you're as new. Yes, yeah. yes, I'm just as new. And I 
Scope has, Scope is a really close community in general. I mean, th- I think that that gives us a lot of our quote unquote power is just we have a good sense of community. But um, the previous media point person did a great job of catch getting me up to speed. And yeah, like Matthew said, over winter break, Matthew and I were kind of the two forces behind on his part analyzing and on my part writing op-eds about the environmental impact report um and it's thing it's kind of these action items these like tasks that we have um that really get people invested and um educated about you know what scope is doing and in terms of internally you know um and so us working on this over winter break we basically knew everything we needed to know by the end of that time because you just have to, you know, you have to do the reading, do the work, yeah. figure it out. Yeah. One thing to kind of add to that is like this, this note of like doing the reading, it's almost like, you know, we're taking another class. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of like the, the skills that this university education gives us, which is sometimes like being able to decipher very long pieces of text written in a very <laughs> inaccessible and abstruse way um, yeah. actually comes in very handy for things mm-hmm. like you know deciphering um and in a huge environmental impact report which has like tons of jargon no one really understands and i think it is kind of motivating to know that like sometimes like it's the students who you know are at this university receiving this education we can actually turn that into meaningful impact whereas you know I, I just feel like it's not really fair to ask um, a normal person who's going to be impacted by this to read a 400-page document right. um, and fully understand what it means for affordable housing for the next, like, 20 years. Um, and so, yeah, it's kind of like turning the education we have into, yeah, something that can be really impactful. And it's really rewarding when we, you know, go to a town hall meeting and we say, you know, we did the calculations and here the whatever, the impact report is off or here's what we found or this is the amount of money that we think should be put into this XYZ thing. And people from the community have come up to us multiple times and just said, thank you so much for really looking into it, for really reading this document, finding the loopholes, you know, and that's, that's really rewarding because we know that we're changing someone's perspective or bringing something to the light that may, may never have been brought up. And I've known people who are now housing activists throughout the Bay Area and beyond who are Stanford graduates. And they and I this is it's really funny to hear you talk about using the skills Stanford cultivates. But I'd say it's it's especially impressive to do that while going through, I think, the objectively incredible busyness of a Stanford workload. So that's it's really impressive to keep any student group going. I mean, I'll say this from running the radio station. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Students are busy, right. yeah. you know, so it's, it's you have to work, work uh, you know, set out for you to try to just get that kind of energy, even if you do have such motivation and, and skills and, and time to, to, to work on it. So well, what do you think is the best way to kind of manage that, the, the time load for everybody? Yeah, that's a great question. I think one benefit is that um, I think there's like a perception that Stanford students are are pretty flaky. I would say that uh, the county is also sometimes flaky on its expected (laughs) deadlines. And so oftentimes things get pushed back and it's actually very good for us because we we have like our own internal deadlines and sometimes we miss them, but the county misses them way more often. Um, And that's not always the county's fault. You know, that's sometimes like Stanford is not negotiating properly, but whatever the reason, things get pushed back and and it's helpful for for our own timelines. That's one thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think our communication is pretty good. That helps. Um, uh, we're just organized and communicate whether we can or cannot do something. Um, but it's also you're being kind of held accountable by this, like your friends and yeah. your, your peers. And um, we if we're in a time crunch, it's it's kind of exciting, you know, um, and I'd rather 
do that than my homework sometimes. So, <laughs> <laughs> how 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 like how hot the temp like how hot is the temperature running for housing justice in the Stanford body? Do pe- do you, like how often do you hit a student and talk about housing and how much they care about and how much they say I don't have time to hmm. think about this? That's a great question. Um, when we did our banner drop, we did have way more positive feedback and interest than we were expecting. I think um, we printed like I don't know. 200 flyers and ended up going and printing more throughout the whole day and gave out maybe a thousand um, or more and we had a lot of people coming up to us saying I care about this how like how can I learn more um, or what you guys are doing is important to me um, but in general in the undergraduate population I would say people either don't know enough about the profile of you know affordable housing or they're quite busy and just don't care i mean when you have a dorm it's you might as well be across the country for as little as you really interact with the uh, oh absolutely yeah Yeah. uh so let's talk about we mentioned earlier the palo alto unified school district and stanford (laughs) giving them (laughs) and this is just this is very i mean it sounds like a weird story to me right Uh, so yeah in i the i guess as i understand it tell me where i'm wrong yeah Negotiations between the the college or the university and the county are currently off because the county is upset that right. Stanford directly negotiated with with Palo Alto School District. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think okay. So uh, this is kind of getting into the weeds of uh, like good faith negotiations between the county and Stanford. Uh, so. I'll try to like kind of contextualize a little bit. So there's the GUP, which is the general use permit. And then there's something called the DA, which is the D- development agreement. Um, and there are certain kind of community benefits, such as more money for schools that can only really be gotten through um, a development agreement. And so that requires negotiation between the county and Stanford to figure out, um, okay, like what are we going to give uh, the county um, in extra community benefits for some leeway on some of these other restrictions that the county could put on us. Um, And so uh, through this development agreement, there has to be some kind of ground rules for negotiation. And I think what the county is most upset about is that Stanford kind of went behind the county's back to basically create a quote-unquote agreement with the the school district to give more money to the school district, but um, that's only contingent on the county approving this development agreement. So basically, it's not really um, an, like a, a real package because it's contingent on the county doing something. So basically, uh, Stanford is basically saying like, okay, we've reached this deal with um, the school district, but we're only going to give them money if you approve our kind of um, development agreement. And that's kind of an unfair bargaining chip. And that's what the the county is upset about. Yeah, because suddenly the county, or sorry, suddenly the school district has flipped to being like, okay, let's just pass the GUP, you know, because then we'll get the money. And I also think that there are benefits and um, resources that Stanford has and can give other than money that could benefit the school district but as soon as you pay them they they can't really ask you for anything else um and the community engagement aspect is just kind of like swept under the rug um and then <laughs> so, i'm curious about like so how is it right or wrong to say the way this should work is the university works through the county and the other cities are negotiated through the county or is it actually supposed to be that oh yes the university will negotiate through the county primarily, but it is expected that they should also negotiate with cities. 
Or is the county supposed to be the main facilitator through all this? That's an interesting question. I think that the ideal way to do it would be that the county would be at least included at the table when these discussions are happen happening and being let, you know, uh, aware of when it's going on. I think the the problem is that the ground rules that the county set for negotiation with Stanford that Stanford agreed to basically said, you know, you're not going to go behind our back and, and try to work around us. Instead, we're going to work together. And I think that's what the county's upset about is that Stanford just kind of went and made this other agreement that would is contingent on the county basically taking some action that the county wasn't involved in the discussion for mm-hmm. you know it doesn't yeah so that just kind of seems unfair and the yeah the other thing i was just reading this article about this this morning but um stanford's associate vice president for government and community relations basically said in response to the county being upset about this we have not taken any issues off the table including open space traffic and affordable housing which yeah. just makes no sense to, i mean you're suing the county right now <laughs> as we speak and yet you're putting out this image that those you know were you know well maybe we'll just pay off all the you know i don't know it's just it doesn't make sense it's it's yeah it does definitely seem the relationship between the county and and the university is at best strained based upon (laughs) an active lawsuit and breaking i don't know how much ambiguity it is but in these articles it says joseph minion is you know uh it's it's strange to see him this irate uh, because and it sounds like he thinks this is f- fairly out of line. Uh, I don't know how ambiguous the rule they're breaking is in these ground rules. Do you know if this is like there is no question or is this kind of a gray area? Yeah, I mean, I think we're not privy necessarily to the discussions that Stanford and the county are having, but. Um, uh, I, I'm not sure about the ambiguity piece, but I can definitely say on my end that I think that, um, like, based on the, the history of, of Stanford's kind of GUP um, actions, uh, that Stanford is not necessarily being 100% transparent. And, like, that's something that we also, as Scope, want Stanford to be is more transparent in terms of, like, how many of your workers are commuting from, like, three hours away? Like, um, what does transportation look like for the average student versus grad student versus worker? Like, these are answers that Stanford has the, or the, yeah, that Stanford has the data for, but it's just not releasing. And so, just this kind of continued theme of opacity, we're not going to tell everyone all the information we have, we're going to hold all the bargaining chips, um, is just kind of really unhealthy for a discussion that is supposed to bring the community together and Mm -hmm. provide benefits for everyone. And the frustrating thing with that data, too, is, for example, in the 2000 GUP, there were in the conditions of approval for that, um, the county required Stanford to do certain studies on, you know, um, the traffic situation, et cetera. But um, it just it seems like it would be a lot more fair for a third party to be doing those studies because Stanford is just hiring their own people to put out their own numbers, uh, kind of make the protocol of those studies however they want it and have the data reflect that. So, um, so yeah, it's yeah. difficult. One kind of like uh, very weedsy point that I can bring up is that, um, for example, the county did a vehicle miles traveled analysis um, about Stanford. And so basically this is equating how many people like live at Stanford and how on average, like how many vehicular trips they take per day to calculate the total number of like emissions that is going to be generated for, you know, the 2018 GUP. And um, one of the kind of assumptions they make in this calculation is that like 8,000 total undergraduates make 12,000 vehicular trips every day, which means that you're assuming that an undergraduate takes one and a half 
you know, vehicle trips per day, which is off absolutely campus. ridiculous. Which, yeah, I, off campus. And I didn't own a car for six years living on campus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Neither of us have a car, and yeah. most of the people we don't we know and do it's, not. It's one of those numbers that Stanford supplied for this environmental impact review sure. when it's obvious that none of us do that we all just walk or you know bike to our classes and but part of that is yeah. if you're being if you're reading into it it tries yeah. to make it look at oh yeah the the load to the community is about the same for a student or a worker when in mm-hmm. fact they have very different right needs. and you can use that number to say oh we're decreasing it so much you know yeah. when the mm-hmm. original number is completely off that's funny that's yeah. that's crazy mm-hmm. uh, i mean in in so many issues with housing all through the area, a big question is local control. And at what level are you kind of negotiating different levels of governance to make sure a lot of times you're dealing with the city level, you know, and but it's it's a bit unusual here. The Stanford is, you know, it's kind of like a city, but it's not. It's more directly mm-hmm. accountable to the county. Uh, I guess one question is, is the county, you know, St. Clair County, it's a big county. It goes all the way down to Gilroy, which mm-hmm. is pretty far away and still has some room uh, for fairly affordable housing if, if you have a longish commute in your in your path. I guess the question is, uh, the, it seems the closer you negotiate, the more it is not going to take into account the overall impact. For example, when... Stanford works at Palo Alto, they're most concerned about, we don't want to lose school funding and like we don't want to have extra students we don't pay for and we don't want traffic around here. That's like their main things. They don't really necessarily I mean, this is me speaking from Palo Alto. This is this is my they don't really care about Stanford employees. Mm-hmm. That's they don't live in, in Palo Alto <laughs> and <laughs> it is not really concerned to them how miserable their lives are. Right. Uh, yeah. By and large. So I, I would say that I consider the best chance for good citizenship here to be at the county level. Uh, I guess one question is is there any kind of interest in how the state is handling any of this, or is that kind of uh, beyond the scope of scope right now? <laughs> I mean, I think so. Actually, the there is some complexity that involves the state. So mainly, what I called the arena earlier, the regional housing needs allocation, that is a state policy, and the fact that. Um, you know, that doesn't make a distinction between grad students and, you know, service workers on campus is a result of kind of this quirk of state policy. And so while it is involved, I think we as students have progressively less and less, you know, influence as you go up, you know, from county to state. Yeah. Um, the other thing I'll say is that uh, if I can jump on my, my soapbox for a little bit about affordable. Yeah, I will say this. The state does care about Stanford University in True. a way that if, you know, perhaps if it was just another you know, low-income workers that are connected to such a prestigious place, you do have more leverage to really make an impact at the higher and higher levels. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, but... And I just kind of want to allude to this point that um, affordable housing is a regional problem. And uh, I think part of the issue is that in every kind of individual like land use permit that the county gives out each kind of developer always says like you know we're just one small part of the problem we can't be held responsible for affordable housing that's exactly what stanford said in its lawsuits is that oh you know we can't be held for the housing crisis in the bay area we're just you know one piece of it but if every single developer gets a free pass in terms of not having to bear the burden of you know building more affordable housing then it never gets solved and Mm -hmm. this is kind of like one of the largest issues I have is that, you know, Stanford should acknowledge that it plays at least a small role in the housing crisis and that it needs to, you know, 
just mitigate that, you know, impact. We're not asking for Stanford to, you know, bear the entire crisis. We're looking at the exact numbers the county has calculated about how many, um, the the new demand for off-campus housing and just asking Stanford to kind of build housing commensurate to that. Like, it's not, you know, a wild ask. And Stanford is kind of painting itself as the victim of we're being held to, you know, uh, the standard. the burden of the entire Bay Area housing crisis, which is absolutely blowing it out of proportion. I talked about the the county level. I talked about the state level. Regional level has Casa ever come within the 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 I guess the uh, well, what you're dealing with at all? Because that is the regional negotiation, and I, mean, I know it's been going on for years before Scope even existed. I don't even know how directly involved Stanford has been in any of this. But it certainly seems that that is one more level of yeah. governance and one more thing to deal with. Yeah, I mean, I think like between. Yeah, all these things you're mentioning, like there are just so many different levels um, to work with, and sometimes it's hard to know the right like leverage points to push on. But I think that's what the original folks at Scope have kind of succeeded at doing is figuring out where uh, local government is going to be the most responsive to us, and then kind of you know forging that relationship. Yeah. So, is do you think it's a realistic goal to say that? You know, by by fighting for the right thing, that you will actually get Stanford uh, to sign on to basically the main ideas of your of your platform and do the right thing. Do, do what do you think is the best realistic outcome politically to change Stanford's direction? Well, in terms of the housing units, the environmental impact report. Uh kind of talks about it in terms of alternatives A, B, or neither, which each alternative has a certain amount of housing that Stanford would build. But um, in reality, it's it's more of just like a sliding scale of how many units we can get or that Stanford will build. And so obviously we are pushing for as many as possible. Which and is more than A or B? It is... Equivalent to on A. A. On the yeah. lines of A. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Are you happy with A, or is A just the better of the two? <laughs> better of the two. Yeah, yeah we, we do have to kind of weigh these different alternatives between... Well, I think, like, I mean, as a student group, we can actually ask for, like, a lot and expect that, you know, this, the county is going to negotiate down from there. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, a housing alternative A equates to Stanford fully mitigating the off-campus demand it generates for housing. And we think that is at the very least fair. I think like there's more you could say that, you know, um, the the 2018 GUP, that's restricted to kind of the new workers Stanford is bringing to campus, but doesn't necessarily account for all the people who are already working here. And this is a tough decision that we kind of have to make in terms of, you know, what is our calculation in terms of what we're going to ask Stanford for? Because, you know, within the context of the GUP, we have to really think about, you know, just what's going to happen over the 17 years and not necessarily the folks who are already here on campus. And um, it's just kind of this... uh, play we have to make with uh, the the constraints of the gut process. In a perfect world, if we could, we would definitely ask for more units to encapsulate the folks who are already working here on campus. But yeah, you just got to play the game. And it's really, yeah, back to the realistic politically question. Um, It's pretty, it's very unlikely that they would build more than A. Um, And you got into it pretty late in the game and you're making the most of it in a lot of ways. Yeah. And it really comes down to what the county um, will ask for and that the development agreement, the idea behind it is that they have to both agree, you know, like yeah. the development agreement negotiations will go on until both parties have agreed. And so that'll just come down to how far the county can push it with the number of units. 
So larger, larger scale, I'm, I'm reading in, and this is, of course, the best way to know what's happening in politics, to read the comment section of Palo Alto uh, <laughs> online and Palo Alto Weekly. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's so bad. Weird, weird, I guess like weird political breakdowns here of, of people saying, on one hand, it's like, it's like uh, for the county to strike back against or like to say like Stanford, you know, has, has has broken the rules by negotiating. It's like, oh, so you don't trust our, our school district? You know, I, I trust our school district. They do the right mm-hmm. thing. And the other people are saying, it's kind of saying, it's like, well, I don't want any traffic at all. You know, it's like, yeah. I, I hate the school district going behind my back to create more traffic. I just want to work with the county to stop everything. Right. So it's a weird political line dividing up. And a big thread of people going is saying, don't kill the golden goose. Because I think they realize mm-hmm. that, I mean, Silicon Valley would, you know, it is connected with the university. I mean, yeah. if you talk about what is kind of sustaining the lifeblood of this whole region, it is Stanford University in no small part. Mm-hmm. And Stanford University and its students definitely have a large power to be the golden goose, when golden eggs, I'm just <laughs> the golden goose that is, uh, and say, uh, yeah, and say that, you know, you have to, you know, work with what we want here because Palo Alto doesn't really it perhaps is not as essential to the region for Santa Clara County as much as Stanford is. There's only one Stanford, and mm-hmm. it's irreplaceable in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I guess the question is, really long-term, I mean, it seems that the ability for Stanford students to influence Santa Clara County's direction is, yeah. I think, could only grow more powerful long-term, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's true. Uh, we also have to kind of weigh that against the fact that we are a transitory population. Yeah. Um, but I also think that means like Stanford kind of underestimates the students in terms of like what we're going to do um, and how much power we have. I think we have more than we think. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like these uh, kind of unexpected actions of just taking the normal routes through the county for public hearings and, and putting pressure and submitting documents that actually generates kind of like a lot of impact in the long term. Um And I think like part of our long-term vision is for Stanford really to be an anchor institution. Um, That's something that, you know, other colleges and universities across the nation have really, you know, buckled down on connecting to the communities and providing community resources. And that's just not something we've really seen from Stanford. And so we'd love to to see that. Yeah. I'm seeing the relationship perhaps died down, like Palo Alto, you know, it used to be, oh, some of the graduating body of Stanford moves there. So there's always a nice, solid connection. Now... They are large. There's not a whole lot of recent yeah. <laughs> grads who yeah, right. stay around this region. In a lot of ways, they in the past like, oh yes, we need to maintain a good relationship. It's like, it's like, oh, what's in it for us? <laughs> like, yeah, I'm definitely. I, I think there's less of a poll saying, oh, I'm a Stanford student. I'm a Stanford, you know, alumni uh, there as much as I'm saying, let's go. Oh, yeah, why should I care? <laughs> yeah. right. I mean, I also think it is very powerful when you have Stanford students or alumni kind of show up for like things like what Scope is doing, basically, I think it really helps kind of undermine that whatever the Stanford PR person is, is really the position of all Stanford affiliates. Right. And if if we can get enough students behind us and kind of show Stanford how unhappy the student body is about this or how much they care about the way that workers are treated and how much they're paid, that that can also that's another angle that has been effective in the in the past. You said that you are a transitory population. I guess the question is, are you completely transitory or do you think there's any chance that there are folks that are going to graduate and stick around the region in order to continue to make a difference? Oh, yeah. I think we've definitely seen that. There are folks yeah. who are working now for like local governments on... Like John. Yeah, yeah. On like city planning um, and 
you know, who are doing kind of like taking like the things they've learned in like urban studies or yeah, political science and applying that. Um, and I think it's really cool to see that example. Mm-hmm. Is Are the urban studies students, are they the easiest ones to reach out to? We are group as scope is definitely disproportionately um urban studies i would say um and but i mean i don't know it seems to have gotten slightly more diverse in terms of what we're studying but we are in conversation with some professors in the urban studies department they are excited about what we're doing and that's it's just a great um is a great connection to have because a lot of the students who come into Stanford wanting to, you know, study that are very interested in the same in like the values that we're promoting and they can have real world applications exactly. to their idealized huh? systems immediately while they're studying. That's, that's really exciting, honestly. Yeah, and we've mm-hmm. actually gained a lot of, you know, um, strategy knowledge from the urban studies department in some manner because we have all these students in the major coming. And applying what they've learned, you know, to to True. scope. Yeah. So we're, we're, I think we're getting close to wrapping up here. My question is, okay, so this news about the Paulus School District dropped. We're recording this April 20th. Uh, this happened just this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so things are happening in flight right now. Oh, yeah. So I guess the question is, what is happening in the immediate future, short term, and then medium term as far as scope and what, what, you're, what you're up to? Because it sounds like all these deadlines are very much in flux. This so, is a great point. Yeah. yeah. You can go ahead. The Board of Education needs to agree with this quote unquote ben- community benefits package that Stanford and the school district have um, decided on. And so that's the, I guess, the most immediate um, thing on the timeline. But in terms of looking forward for the GUP, it's, it's pretty far in the future until anything definitive is going to happen. Yeah. And and my personal view on it is that uh, the the conditions of approval that the county sets when they approve the GUP, that's going to be finalized in the fall. But before then, there's going to be lots of public hearings and like mm-hmm. the, the planning commission is going to have to approve things. The Board of Supervisors is going to have to approve and change things. So there's going to be kind of like these spurts <laughs> where yeah. there are points for us to have public contact. And so we're going to be working on that. Right. If people want to keep track of what Scope is up to in all this, uh, how, how do people make sure to know about what your uh, events are and what, what your actions are? So we have a website that um, people we direct people to. And if you go to our website, you can sign up your email to, ha- to be updated about um, these sorts of things. And we can kind of send you a blast when, when there's a public hearing or anything that we want people to come to. And it is scope2035.weebly.com. Are you ever considering <laughs> upgrading to not having the, the free <laughs> Weebly? That's literally like our mission. Yeah, us too. We have discussed this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, one of the things about being a student group is uh, that we need funding. <laughs> and so, yeah. but yeah, we would love that. The domain costs, you know, $10, $15 a year. It's not, I mean, I own a yeah. few domains. It's not the It's not the most unaffordable thing out there. True. <laughs> so, yeah, true. so dream, dream big. Uh, <laughs> well, right now it's uh, scope2035.weebly.com. That's correct. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and that has links to all your, your Facebook group and your other ways that you communicate through, too. Yeah, Facebook yeah. is a, a really good way to stay up to date yeah. with us as well. And I'm pretty sure you can message us or like yeah. just send us an yeah, email. Yeah, you can message I us. I actually, like, just when I first got involved, just sent an email to the Scope uh, mm-hmm. email that was on our website. Um, people are really responsive. Cool. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it seems like a lot's been going on since last year. I talked to folks in your group, and I, I hope to uh, you know, maybe give updates uh, sooner than that because mm-hmm. there's so much interesting stuff happening. So, uh, yeah, thanks so much for coming back here. Thank you for having, having us. us. Yeah.
we have been hearing from Matthew and Shelby from Scope 2035, the Stanford Student Land Use Activism Group. Talking about all their latest work and what's coming up in the future. You can hear this episode on all previous episodes of this Henry George program on the website seethecat.org. This is a presentation of Casey Shue, Stanford. 